Public Protector Busisiwe M. Kwabane's challenge regarding the validity and constitutionality of the Section 194 inquiry rule has been unfolding in the Western Cape High Court this week. She wants the inquiry into whether there are grounds for her removal from office to be declared invalid. When it comes to the perception of the public protector, there have been questions about her competence from many quarters for several years. In March of this year, the National Assembly decided to proceed with an inquiry into Mkwabani's fitness to hold office after receiving a report on her competence from an independent panel. It was a development welcomed by Democratic Alliance Chief Whip Natasha Mazzoni, who tabled the motion for Parliament to remove Mkwabani. It shows that when Parliament comes together and works together, putting political ideology aside, South Africa wins. Our constitution must always come first, and a Chapter 9 institution, such as the importance of the Office of the Public Protector, must never have a cloud hanging over its head as it does now. I'm Catherine Rice, journalist for News24's Multimedia Department, and this is The Story. This week, we'll unpack Mkwabani's court challenge and the arguments heard in the Western Cape High Court, the political implications of her action, and the precarious future of the public protector. You're listening to The Story. It's a podcast by News24. We'll speak to journalists and experts about the week's biggest story. This is what we saw, heard, and uncovered this week. We're talking to News24 legal journalist Karen Morn. The public protector is essentially challenging the constitutionality of the rules of the National Assembly. Advocate Dalian Porfu, acting for the public protector, used a sporting example to illustrate his argument in court. If there are two teams of soccer or rugby or whatever, we're not here to determine which team is stronger than the other. We're here to determine whether the rule by which the game is going to be played are consistent with the Constitution. In other words, not to extend the example too far, if the rules say this team was going to have 10, 11 players in soccer, or 15 in the rugby, so team A will have 11 players, but team B is going to have 16 players. Then we come here to the court and we say, we're not here to determine which team is stronger or weaker or whatever. We're here to say to this court, these rules are unconstitutional. Karen, can you expand on the arguments heard in court this week? Well, first of all, I think we need to remember that this is the first impeachment of its kind in democratic South African history, and indeed, I think, in pre-democratic South African history. So essentially what public protector Busisiwe Mkobane is arguing is that the 17-stage process that could see her being removed from office, that is, if a majority, uh, you know, two-thirds majority of parliament vote in favor of that um, particular process. She's saying that it is fraught with illegality and unconstitutional um, aspects and that those rules must be thrown out uh, in in their entirety and the entire process begin anew, which would obviously result in the inquiry into her fitness to hold office being delayed by quite some time. She's called into question National Assembly Speaker Tandi Modise's conduct when she granted the motion to the DA. Um, can you tell us a bit about that? Well, essentially, you know, it's been quite a protected process. We know the DA 
I think since 2017, has been attempting to get a motion um, through Parliament for an inquiry uh, uh, into Advocate Mkobani's uh, fitness to hold office. So as part of that, they submitted a number of motions to um, National Assembly uh, Tandi Modise. And, um, you know, in certain instances, uh, she did not choose, you know, the speaker then prior to her did not uh, choose to, to proceed with them. But Modise um, supported uh, two motions by the DA, one of which was withdrawn and subsequently repla replaced. And Advocate Umkwabani's, um, you know, argument in that respect is that um, Modise has taken sides, that she has essentially uh, so-called copy and pasted many of the rules suggested by the DA. She's also suggested that um, Modise has, should not have defended these rules uh, in court. She should have just obeyed whatever the court said, um, that she is biased against her because uh, she was involved in the Basasa case, which of course involves President Cyril Ramaphosa, um, you know, and, and Modise took a, a stance in that case that the directives that Mkobani had issued that Parliament forced President Ramaphosa to disclose his CR17 funders were um, unlawful directives. Now, of course, the, the court ruled in her favor. And Modise's advocate arguing very strongly that essentially these arguments are baseless because Modise is simply doing her job. But it has ratcheted up a notch because Mkobani is seeking a 20% personal and punitive costs order against the speaker for what she says was her reckless um, uh, you know, litigation, the way she's conducted herself in this entire matter. And she wants the speaker to be, pay, be, to be forced by the court to personally pay one fifth of her legal fees in challenging these rules. I mean, the public protector has already suffered a number of court losses in the past, Karen. I mean, she's been criticized for her lack of independence. I mean, what are some of the past rulings against her? Well, it's an important question to ask because the adverse, some of the adverse, most adverse rulings given against the public protector actually form the basis of the DA's motion. Um, the first, of course, was the Reserve Bank matter um, in which she was ordered to pay 15% of the Reserve uh, Bank's costs um, because of the way she conducted herself in an investigation involving an apartheid era bailout given to Bank Corp, which of course subsequently became ABSA. The Constitutional Court um, basically supporting, uh, you know, a personal cost order against her because they said she had acted deceitfully, she had and not disclosed certain secret meetings with the presidency, with the state security agency, in which notes were discovered to the effect of how was the Reserve Bank vulnerable, and that there was a lot of conduct in that case which displayed a lack of impartiality um, and dishonesty. In the Estina uh, case, which is also part of the DA's motion, she was found to have failed um, in her constitutional duty to properly investigate the Estina dairy farm scam, which of course saw millions of rands, which should have been spent on the empowerment of black farmers being funneled uh, to the Gupta family, allegedly, and to, you know, ultimately, according to what we know from the Gupta leaks, um, 30 million rand of it going to the Gupta's Sun City wedding. Um, and Judge Renal Talme, in a judgment that has been uh, supported, you know, couldn't be appealed in, in the SEA or the Constitutional Court, finding that Unkabani had failed the people of South Africa um, and ordering her to pay seven 
11.5% of the legal costs in that matter. So both of those cases are very pivotal to the motion um, that the DA is, is, is pursuing. But of course, we recently saw the uh, High, Gauteng High Court in Pretoria um, ordering that she pay 15% of the uh, Pravin Gordon, the minister's legal costs in relation to the so-called SARS rogue unit case, in which she actually attacked a judge and falsely accused her of removing a word deliberately from the executive ethics code um, to protect Pravin Gordon um, and finding that she showed manifest bias um, and ulterior motive in, in that case. When do you think we'll, we'll, get, some, uh, we'll get some clarity on this and, and judgment on this particular week's challenge? Well, the courts typically have a time period of about three months, um, you know, in which to give judgment, but it may take longer than that. It became very apparent during the he hearing that the court was quite persuaded by a number of points raised by the public protector. Um, the court was clearly unhappy with the fact that the independent panel um, appointed by parliament to examine whether, it is, whether there was a prima facie case against Mkobani um, also included a retired judge. Um, the court was very unhappy with the fact that they they perceived a potential breach of the separation of powers doctrine. Um, and it also betrayed a lot of uh, judicial anxiety about the role of judges in, in this particular proceeding. Um, the court also not happy that Advocate Mkobani was not um, allowed legal representation to cross-examine um, during the inquiry process that she essentially had to represent herself with the support of a legal advisor that, or a lawyer who couldn't speak during the proceedings, um, and also very unhappy about the independent panel itself, which I think two of the judges felt were, was essentially an outsourcing of the roles of parliament. So it is both very much within the bounds of possibility that the court does um, acquiesce to a lot of the orders that are sought by Mkobani. What that means in effect, um, practically speaking, if they make that ruling will be what's pivotal. Do they invalidate the entire rules process and then gets back goes back to parliament? Um, do they strike out aspects of the rules? Um, and if they do so, what, what is the next move for the speaker? Um, does she fight that or does she simply uh, lick her wounds, go and change the rules? and then try and pursue this inquiry a few months down the line. Well, certainly one to watch. Thank you so much. That was News24's legal journalist, Karen Morn. We're now joined by News24 political reporter, Jan Gerber. Jan, the court heard arguments on behalf of the Speaker this week. What were those arguments? Well, the Speaker responded to, to most of the matters the public protector raised. One of them was that the public protector should get a hearing, should, should be able to make representations um, when the speaker decides on the on whether to, to go ahead of the motion. The speaker said it, it's not necessary because she will get the hearing later in the proceedings. Further on, the public protector, um, Dolim Pofu, who's a legal representative, um, attacked the, the first letter, the, the um, well, the first time that the speaker announced that the, um, the, that the proceedings would go ahead, um, he said the public protector wasn't informed. She read about it in the media. The, mm. the speaker's representation said that that's not necessary to, to inform her. Another another issue was the the three person panel that that, that the speaker appointed. Dalim Porfu attacked whether the speaker has the right to appoint judges and also whether Parliament has the right to outsource it, um, a function like that to do an independent panel. And the uh, speaker's representation basically said they had that right. It is um, 
you know, it's not in contravention of the Constitution or of Parliament's functions to, to do that. And, and Jan, what about the arguments from the Democratic Alliance? They said that um, the, the public protector is trying to avoid being held accountable with these proceedings. That this is a way for her to sidestep the parliamentary process, which the public protector obviously denied. And, and just finally, Jan, if the public protector loses this battle, what actually happens next? Are we likely to see her removed from her office in the near future? Um, well, the, the process is already underway. The removal proceedings is already underway. So if the public protector, protector loses this case, that will continue. Um, we're at the stage now where the committee has been formed. It hasn't started its work yet. That will only start in August because Palms is currently on recess. As to when that proceedings will conclude, I, I don't want to venture a guess because Parliament tends to, its, it's process tends to drag on a bit, especially when it's um, politically, politically contentious, as this one is. Um, so it, it's, it's very difficult to, to, to give a, a cut of date. It will become clearer when the committee actually starts its work and adopts a program, but that could also be extended. Um, so I'd be surprised if, if anything happens before the end of this year. Definitely a waiting game ahead of us. Thank you so much for your time. That was News24 political journalist Jan Gerber. That's it from us this week. I'm Catherine Rice, and this week's episode was produced with the help of Bertram Malchas.